This morning, we have an opportunity to hear from one of our global partners. His name is Kerry Hilton, and he and his wife, Annie, started a ministry called Freeset. And the story of Freeset is all about giving women who are stuck in human trafficking, in prostitution, a choice, a sense of dignity, something that they have never really experienced before. Now, if you're here with your children in the service, I just want you to know that Carrie's gonna talk openly uh, about the realities that many of those women are facing in the red light district. My children were in the, the first service this morning. They sat through it, they did just fine. They're eight and six, uh, so, but I just want you to know that it's gonna be real about what uh, those challenges are that those women are facing. God got a hold of Carrie's life as he was a pastor in New Zealand and inspired him to move to Calcutta, India with his family his young children, all with this one call to simply love their neighbors. And that love for neighbor is what birthed Freeset. And Freeset is giving birth to so many choices for freedom for those women that otherwise wouldn't have had a choice. I wanna let you know a little bit more about Freeset through a short video that's gonna play. And as soon as that video is over, Carrie will be up and speak. But when he comes up, I want to encourage you to give him a warm Wooddale welcome. But first, watch this about how Freeset loves their neighbors. A choice is a powerful thing, especially if you don't have one. All around the world, young girls are sold into forced prostitution, sold by their own families, because crushing poverty has left no other option. These girls are forced into a life of shame, abuse, and social rejection forced into a lucrative business in which they are the product, all because they had no choice. But what if we could replace this business that profits from them with one that profits for them? What if we could actually give them a choice? They could be free of this life that will consume them. Entire communities could be restored, transformed from ports of destruction to havens of life and growth. This even means that these women could change the lives of others give young girls a choice that they never had. This is a huge task. It will take lots of help, lots of insights, lots of business partners from all over the globe, and it's worth it. We call these freedom businesses for a reason. It's not just a business, it's a choice. Your choice creates theirs, and the right choice changes everything. Hi. It is so good to be here at Wooddale and Annie and I. Well, we want to say thank you, first of all, to all of you. Because you've partnered with us for a number of years. You've prayed for us, you've prayed for the community. You've supported us, you've come alongside us with wisdom. We've had lots of business help because we have a business that gives choice to women who need to be free from this horrible trade of prostitution. And you've journeyed with us so that these women are not only free from a horrible trade, but are free to know ultimate freedom, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So thanks for being on that journey with us. It's made a significant difference in the lives of women and in the lives of our community. You know, I'm, I'm excited to come here and share the message this morning, today, because, well, it's from the book of Mark, and Mark, the message in Mark starts in an interesting place. It 
It doesn't start at the center, where the message normally comes from. In Mark, the message didn't start at a worship place like this. It, it didn't start at the synagogues, and it, it didn't start at the temple in Jerusalem. It didn't start at the religious institutions of the day. The message began the good news of God at a faraway place in the wilderness, at the margins in the desert. And it started with a man called John. John was the one that the prophet Isaiah talked about, the one who was crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And he came with a simple message, really. He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. And people came around all the regions, the areas of Judea and Jerusalem, and they left the centers where the message usually was told, and they went to the margins and they confessed their sins and they were baptized. The message began at the margins. But John said, there's one coming that is a strong one, one that is stronger than me. A strong man is coming. And so he introduces Jesus. And well, Jesus didn't particularly come from the center either. Nazareth and Galilee was hardly on the map. It was kind of like this little village in, in northern Palestine. The message with Jesus began at the margins. And Jesus, well, he had a similar message to John. He started and he talked about repentance as well. He said repent, but he added something, something that we need to hear. He said the kingdom of God is near. Did you get that? The kingdom of God is near. It's close. You see, I don't, I don't know where you get this, but Jesus came to change the world. He came to turn things upside down. He came to transform communities. The kingdom of God is near. And so the message came to the margins, to the marginalized. Because in Jesus' day, there was an oppressive system. And there were some people at the center, the religious authorities, that controlled the system. The Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the elders. And for them, it was privilege and power. But for many, the crowd... They remained on the outside. It was hard for them to participate and become part of community. And for many, it kept them in poverty. And so there was this oppressive system at play. And so the message went to the margins, but it went to the marginalized. It began with the outsiders, not with the people of privilege. And so as the message came, Jesus also did this. He went to pick a fight. Did you know that about Jesus? He went to pick a fight. Because even though the message was going to the marginalized, he needed to challenge the status quo. He needed to challenge the religious authorities. He needed to challenge the oppressive system. 
And so he went to pick a fight. And he decided that he needed some people along the way. So he went on a recruitment drive. And to get his recruits, he didn't go to the worship places, he didn't go to the synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem, he didn't go to the religious institutions. You know where he went? The beach. He went to the beach. The seashore of Lake Galilee. And he's along the beach and he sees Simon and Andrew and they're casting their nets, they're fishing and he says, come, follow me. And I don't quite understand this but they drop their nets and they follow. And then a little bit further along the beach, the shore, there was Zebedee's boys, James and John. Now Zebedee was with the hired help and they were fixing nets. And he said to James and John, Come follow me. And they followed. I often think what Zebedee was saying. Hang on a minute, where are you off to? You know? But you know what I think? I think that when they went to put up their hand and says, we'll follow you, Jesus, I don't think they had a clue. I don't think they knew what they was getting themselves in for. I didn't know, I think they didn't know what they were signing up for. And I'll be honest, when I first said to Jesus, I want to follow you, neither did I. I didn't have a clue. And so Jesus then went to challenge the authorities, this oppressive system. And he goes right into the heart, to their own turf, at the end of chapter one in Capernaum, at the synagogue there. This is their home ground. There's a man there with um, an unclean spirit, but Mark talks about Jesus talking and preaching with authority, unlike the scribes. And there's this evil spirit there, and, and the spirit speaks out, what do you want with this Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Oh, holy one of God. Interesting how the spirits even know who Jesus is when some of us don't. And he cast out the spirit. And they said, wow, what teaching with authority that even the spirits obey him. Came to challenge the authorities and the system of the day. In chapter 2, well, Jesus was speaking in this home in Capernaum, and there was standing room only. It was packed. People were coming to hear, even some of the religious authorities. And some friends brought their friend, a paralyzed man, along to see Jesus. I love this. They tore off the roof of the house. They dug into the thing and let him down in the midst of everyone. And Jesus began to deal with the heart of the matter. You see, this paralyzed man, it wasn't just a sickness or an illness that we're dealing with here. If in Jesus' day you were sick, you were on the outside of community. 
you were unclean. If you had a skin disease, if you, if you had a blood flow, if you're paralyzed, you were on the outside. And if by some miracle you were clean, there was a whole purification process you had to go through to be part of community. And Jesus says, I love it. Your sins are forgiven. He's clean. He's welcome back into community. He bypassed the oppressive system and welcomed him in. Isn't it amazing? And then he heals the man. Challenged the oppressive systems of the day. And in chapter 3, well, he's in the home turf again in the synagogue at Capernaum and there's a man with a withered hand. And it's the Sabbath. And they're looking at Jesus, the authorities. They're looking to see whether he's going to do a healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, is it right to do good or harm on the Sabbath? Is it right to save a life or to kill? And he looked at them. You see what he was asking? He was basically saying, under your system, is justice legal? Under your system, this oppressive system, is it okay to do the right thing? He was challenging the system. And they refused to answer. And he looked at them in anger because of their hardened hearts. And he healed the man. In my culture, in India, we have a massive oppressive system that exploits many. If you were living in a place called Mashidabad, in West Bengal, in a village, a poor family living in a mud home, and you had a daughter, then you need to get her married off really young because the older she gets, the more expensive the dowry is that you have to pay the husband's family. So you make sure she's young because it's easier to afford and you'll probably have to sell that little plot of land that you have, the land that provides enough food for you to eat just to get her married. So you have to give up all that you have to get her married. And so you'll pass the money over to the husband's family and your little girl, as young as 10 years old, 11, 12, 13, 14, will go to her husband's family, her new family. And if they're a good family, then it might be okay. But often, it's really hard for that little girl because she's going into another family and well, she's kind of brought on not only as the wife, but as the housemaid. And if she doesn't get on with them, if they don't get on with her, if they don't like her, because it's an arranged marriage, they don't know her beforehand, then they kick her out on the street. They just kick her out. And she's only got one place to go. She goes back to her mother and her father. And the problem with our culture is there's so much shame involved with a girl returning back. Most parents say, you cannot come back. You go back. 
You make things right. You go back to that family. It's too shameful for you to come and live here. And so they push her back. Sometimes she gets accepted back again for a little while, but often they just kick her out on the street again. She's got nowhere to go. Her mother and her father are saying, no, you've got to go back there. And then a woman will come and put her arm around her. And she'll say, I can get you a good job in Kolkata with a nice family. And they will, they will give you a wage. You have to be their servant. You have to cook and clean for them. They'll give you a place to sleep, food to eat. You get a little wage, but it'll be good for you. And so she trusts her. And she goes with her into this big city of Calcutta. She comes into a community, my community, a place called Sonagachi. And then she notices that there's this woman that comes and she starts giving the woman that she went with some money, quite a bit of money. And then she gets told to go with this woman who she understands now is her madam. And she discovers that she's just been sold into prostitution. A little girl. And if she's really young, if she's 17 and under, they won't put her on the street to wait for customers. They'll lock her in a room. And her food will be brought to her, but so will be the men, the customers. And she will serve many customers every single day. She will be raped for profit. And she'll say to herself, God has forgotten me. Now, we have oppressive systems here. We know that. The problem is, is when we talk today here, most of us, we're the privileged people in the system. The, priv the, the system supports us. But there are lots of people on the outside, lots of people here that struggle to get enough to eat, lots of people here that struggle to get a job. Lots of people here that can't get decent health care. And they're on the outside of the system. The system that affords us privilege is the same system that keeps them on the outside. And problem is too is that it's hard for us to understand that. Particularly if the people that we know are just like us. See, I hear things like, well, they don't really want to work. They don't want to pay taxes. They're after a free ride. They're not really interested in working hard. They're just lazy. I hear this. And the problem is this. If we don't know them, and the only people we know are the same as us, 
if we're not seeing correctly, we're just blind together. If our neighbours and our friends are the same of us, we just confirm our own blindness. It's a problem. It's a problem all around the world. I've got a great friend in Kolkata. I've known him for 19 years. I love him. And um, he owns a restaurant and, uh, and he serves good food and I eat there quite a lot, you can tell. And one day I was sitting down with him and he said to me, you know the woman that you work with? He said, they're just doing this because they're lazy and they want easy money. They choose to do that. He said, you know, they do provide a service for society because men who are sexually frustrated, they go and sleep with the bad woman in prostitution so the good girls don't get raped. That's what he said. I was really offended. But you know, that was his worldview. Most of people in society where I live who are outside of the insiders, the privileged, that's what they think. That's their worldview. That's the answer that they have come to. See, if we only know people that are part of us, it confirms our blindness. And Jesus, in chapter 11 of Mark, enters the temple, he's still fighting the system, fighting the authorities. And he goes into the temple, and the traders are there. They're selling and buying as part of the system. And he starts overturning tables and getting really angry and stops the sellers from selling and the buyers were selling. He wouldn't let anybody trade. And he said, it is written that my house is a house of prayer for all nations and you've turned it into a den of robbers. And he wasn't just talking about the fact that the, in the temple they were trading. He was talking about the fact that in the temple they were exploiting. Particularly the poor. So the next day, Jesus went back into Jerusalem and he's walking in the temple and the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, they come to him and they say, for what authority are you doing these things? They were thinking about the, the day before when he upturned the tables. And who gives you the right, the authority to do them? They were challenging him, interrogating him. And he said, I'll ask you one question. You answer me, and then I'll tell you for what authority I do these things. From what authority? And he said, John, John's baptism, was it from heaven? Or was it of human origin? And they argued amongst themselves. If we say it's from heaven, he'll say, well, why don't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, well, they were afraid of the crowd because they held John to be a true prophet. And so they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, therefore, I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. You see what Jesus did? They went to question Jesus. 
They went to interrogate him. And he asks the question back and he interrogates him and them in, in return. Isn't that amazing? They went to have a go at Jesus and he turned it around on them and interrogated them. See, that's what Jesus does. He actually interrogates us. He actually questions the answers that we have already formed, the conclusions that we have already come to. He needed to do that with the religious authorities. He questioned them. He questioned their system. He picked a fight. He challenged them. But he does it with his disciples too. You know, when those disciples put their hands up, they didn't know the ride they were in for. Jesus healed the blind, made the blind see and the deaf to hear. And he often used to say to his disciples, are you still blind? Are you still deaf? Do you still not see? Can you still not hear? He challenges their belief systems, the way they view the world. He was the question to their answers. See, I grew up on Jesus is the answer for the world today. A guy called Andre Kraut sang that. I love that song. But I've discovered that Jesus actually interrogates and questions more than he just gives us the answers. Because he wants to help us see. He wants us to see. He wants to get us out of this privileged group that we're in so that we can see. Now Jesus, he had an advantage because he spent lots of time with the poor. He spent lots of time with outsiders, people that they were on the outside of the community and they helped him to understand. They helped him to see. Those neighbors were good for him. See, we need people on the outside if we're the privileged few to help us see. My friend, who um, had the restaurant, who said that the women in our community were just doing it because they were lazy and it was easy money. A few months ago, I said to him, we're opening a, uh, a cafe in the middle of the red light area of Sonagachi. And it's going to be really nice. It's going to be really special. It's going to be totally different than the rooms, the brothel rooms the girls live in. And we're going to make them feel special. But we know nothing about running a cafe. We know nothing about running a restaurant. But you do. I've got this friend in Sonagachi, and we think that she could be on staff in the cafe. Would you train her? Could she come and be an intern in your restaurant? Do you know what he said? Yes. He'd never, ever, ever in all the years employed a woman in his restaurant let alone one from the community. And she came and she started interning. And I used to pop in and see how she was going and, and he would say to me, she's doing pretty good. And I'd go in again, actually, she's great. She's really good with the people that come to eat. She's excellent. And they became friends. And he began to see things differently. 
And when we opened our cafe in Sonagachi, he came not just to, just to support Freeset, he came to support her. He was there at the opening. See, she had begun to interrogate his way of seeing things. She began to question some of his already informed answers. And he was getting to see his eyes were beginning to be opened. And you know what he said to me after the opening? He said, do you think we could get a few more women that could come and I could employ them at my restaurant? Isn't that amazing? Jesus is working away in his life, helping him to see. A few years ago, I was in Mashidabad, this rural district, and I was sitting in a mud hut with my friend Mina. Mina's the one that interrogates me in my life. She keeps telling me. She was trafficked from Bangladesh when she was 13 years old. She keeps saying, do you not understand? She's God's gift, Jesus' gift to me to help me see. She's shown me so much throughout these years. And so we're sitting in this, in this mud home with a mother and a father and a 17-year-old girl. And she had uh, been married really young. Her mother and father had sold their little plot of land to get her married, to pay the dowry. And her husband used to beat her. He used to beat her something awful. Thankfully, her parents accepted her back at home. She couldn't go back to her husband. And they were about to send their daughter because they had no means of paying for another wedding. They had no more land. And in the eyes of society, she was damaged goods. They were about to send their 17-year-old daughter into Sonagachi to begin life in prostitution. The mother and the father. They were the traffickers. And a few years ago, I might have said, how dare you? What kind of evil father, evil mother are you that you would put your own daughter in prostitution? How dare you? I'm going to go to the police. We're going to get charges laid against you. We're going to get you locked up and I'm going to throw away the key. What kind of evil parents would do this? But I've had a few years of interrogation. And I see things a little bit differently now. And I said, but what if your daughter had another choice? What if she could come to Freeset? We'll pay her to train. And when she's trained, we'll give her a really good wage. She can send some of her earnings back to you. She can get a pension. She can be part of a loving, caring community. We'll help her find a new little room for her to live in in Kolkata where she's safe and sound. What if you had that choice? You know, today, when I'm in Kolkata, when I'm living in Kolkata, it's where we live, I can walk out of our living room because we, and we live in the same building where she works and it's got a centre courtyard 
So I can see all the different floors where all the women are working. And she's up on the next floor, the one above me, and she's right in the center. And I look up at her, sewing on her sewing machine, and I can see her smile. I call it Jean's Pants. Because a lot of the girls wear sour camisas and saris, but she's more fashionable and she wears jeans. So that's our little thing between us, jeans pants. That's what they call it over there. And I look at her laugh. And we're in when we're in devotions. I look at her worshiping and praying. And I look at how she's part of community and I say to myself. how different things could have been for her. She's never had to say, God has forgotten me. Because he's right there. And I remember what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is near. He came to change the world, transform communities, Upside down. We're going to pray. We're not going to pray a prayer of praise or thanksgiving. If you've got the courage today, pray a prayer with me of interrogation. That Jesus will come and question the answers that we've already formed so that we get to see. Let's pray. Father, as we come to pray to you today, we are part of the privileged few. And there are many on the outside of community. And so we acknowledge that it's hard for us to see. And when we put a hand up to follow you, we didn't have a clue about what and who we were following, but we come to you and we pray to you today as Jesus the interrogator that will question our answers so that we might see, so that we might hear. Give us the gift of neighbors and friends that are not like us, that will interrogate us to use them to help us see. Give us the gift of being able to break bread with them so that together we get to follow Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.